Time for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Space Book for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hartley, Birmingham's king of the geeks and yours, a designated driver down the uh, A roads and B roads, literally this time, <laughs> of this glorious fantasy universe, explored and celebrated as always on our wide-ranging, non-gatekeeping show for all generations and regenerations, whatever decade or century started watching reading or listening along to the adventures of our hero doctor who so come and step into our tardis and share this journey together here with us on type 40 hello yes here we are type 40 on the road <laughs> this is cutting edge podcasting kind of making it up as we're going along and breaking new ground constantly because yes uh, i've got a packed lunch waiting there's a flask and some various uh, sandwiches nondescript some of them are looking like they're a little past their best but then again i did make them myself there's a few uh scotch eggs and some of those some of those little little biscuits i can't remember what they're called maybe my friend maybe my first guest well no we've got two guests on this particular show and the first one of course it's this is all his idea and uh, when we talk about the 80s and retro doctor who is it any wonder it's come from the mind of the original lunatic, my friend Simon Horton? Hello, greetings, greetings. Can, can you remember what one of those little biscuits that you, you, your my mum used to put them in a packed lunch? They're sort of short things like that. They've got a brown filling. Penguins. No, no, no. They're sort of like shortbread around the outside. They're not chocolate oh, biscuits. There's not breakaways. There was penguins. There was breakaway blue ribbons. Well, the thing is, they used to make you go to the toilet, and of course, when you're on a long car journey, <laughs> not always the best thing to eat by the fistful when you're on a three or four hour car journey because as you remember I mean the various service stations back in the 80s if you were doing one of these road trips they weren't quite as nice as they are now were they? no they weren't quite as plush no no in fact they were probably fairly few and far between I can't even remember now did we even use them I don't think you ever used them because your parents would never let you stop at them because they were too expensive so you were never actually allowed to stop I think that's the truth it's the of same with me. <laughs> exactly the same with me mm, well, maybe maybe our other guests will will know the answer to this question can remember what these things were called but yes we couldn't make this that easy for simon although this his idea i didn't want to let him off too lightly so we have got another guest but the conceit of this is for the very first time i know who the guest is 
Obviously, he knows who he is, and he knows who we both are. But Simon has no idea who's going to be joining us. It's a bit like this is your story. life, isn't it? This is it is like this is your life. It is. It is a little. So we've got to we've got to shuffle over now and make room in this kind of. It's a virtual Ford Princess, I think, that we should sort of commandeer for our journey, a journey down to Longleat here to Longleat eighty three. So if we move over, maybe there's room enough for production designer. And massive Doctor Who fan, dressed for the part, it's Phil Newman. Well, hey! <laughs> Phil Newman, how fantastic to see you again after all these years. Yes, I know, it's been a long time, hasn't it? <laughs> it as soon as he said production designer, I knew there could only be one person. He knew it had to be you. <laughs> It's lovely to meet up with you again in inside. In, in I think the last time we met was was uh, in London. I think we we sat and had food out uh, out in London a few years back. We did in Soho. Yeah, that's right. In we Soho. did. Yeah, we I don't did. know how many lovely. years ago that was. I don't. I don't uh, want to think about how many years ago it was. <laughs> it was truly. It wasn't that many years ago. I remember it was a lovely lovely spring day. It was a sunny spring day. Probably about. I'm guessing about five years ago, maybe. Yeah, five or six years ago. I think must be. Oh, it's, it's, Friends it's, yeah. and companions reunited for you here on Type 40 <laughs> on the road. You don't get this on Radio Free Scarrow, do you? <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. I mean, Phil and I, we go back. How many How many years do we go back, Phil? What, when did we first meet? Would it be oh, in convention? I, I, convention? Yeah, it would have been a panopticon or something like that, I imagine. I wonder whether it would it have been um, would it have been uh, the, the Bath conventions? Did you? I think you went to. Did you go to Bath? Oh yeah, it might be. I think it was that. In, it, so that we, we were going there, back there to was back one fan aid, wasn't there? Wasn't that the one that Paul Cornell said? Paul Cornell, eighty-four, eighty-five, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Eighty. I, I'm, I'm thinking it was the yeah. suburb and Simon Lydiard. So, so yeah, we basically go back thirty-five years, something ridiculous like that. Wow. Yes. Well, <laughs> this is absolutely perfect, isn't it? Because yes, we are all going back to the eighties now, virtually back to the eighties to nineteen eighty-three, to the year of uh, Karma Chameleon and and Flashdance, Irene Cara, those leg warmers. <laughs> Simon's wincing at the memory. Did they pinch a bit? Those I never, I never actually wore any of those. But God, nor did I, and neither did I. The most important factor, of course, culturally, was that 1983 was the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who. My God, doesn't 20 seems like such a small number now, doesn't it? When you think about like, coming up to 60, it was huge. And although the celebration perhaps was from an age where there wasn't the multimedia domination there is now, where things could be sort of timed and orchestrated to go across multimedia, obviously social media couldn't have even been thought of. But back then... It seems like there was little coordination between arms of the BBC, like BBC One and the Radio Times. Things would sort of fall between the cracks of the pavement. We're talking about the Longley 1983 20th anniversary event. And this is, I think many people describe it as the Woodstock of Doctor Who. I wasn't there. I was kind of a little bit too young. Our two guests today, they were both there. I mean, you came to me with this. That you'd really like to talk about this as it was coming up to the anniversary. Yeah. I've wanted to talk about this for a while, really, that that particular year. And so as soon as I just realised that, that we'd just gone through it again, I, I just had all the memories just come flooding back. 
So, yeah. Well, on the we, same yeah. day that you sent me that personal message, I was on Twitter and I saw Phil. He was tweeting out lots of fantastic pictures and memories and saying, oh, I remember this. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. All this kind of thing. And I'm thinking, oh, who should we bring on as the third voice? I thought, this is, this is <laughs> destiny. I was amazed. Is it, well, is it true, Phil, that everybody claims that they were there? Well, I don't know about everybody. I don't know. Everybody wants was, to claim I think, that they were there. I, yeah, because, I mean, I don't think it wasn't difficult to get tickets. I mean, I saw the thing advertised at the end of, of an episode of Doctor Who because they had a caption come out. And you just wrote off and they sent you the details and you sent off your, your postal order or whatever it was. It probably was a postal order back then. And you got your tickets and camping pass and everything. <laughs> I was one of the mad fools who, you know, because I... I, I couldn't really afford... I was only working in a supermarket back then. You know, I don't think I could have afforded B&B or hotels, and I think they all went really quickly anyway. So I ended up buying a cheap tent and, and literally camping out there over the weekend, which um, I've never done ever since, <laughs> I have to say. We got rid of the tent really soon after. Because <laughs> it was uh, not a very pleasant uh, experience. I, I was only, I was, only um, I was 14 at the time that I was there. Um, and so uh, we went as a family. My, my parents had got a caravan we, and, and we pitched up the caravan. People that know Longleat, it's just on the other side of the of the sort of lake facing the facing the house facing the mansion house so we stayed there for the weekend so i was lucky to be there from the friday right the way through to the the tuesday morning so so i can i can even remember oh, watching wow. them. i remember seeing on the on the saturday i remember watching them setting up um the marquees and putting in all the barriers and and, and bringing in the the the, the, the blackpool um, illuminated displays and that so so i saw them literally yeah. putting it all together it was it's phenomenal i feel like gentlemen i feel like i'm there already this is going to be fantastic but before we <laughs> before we continue with our mission back to longleat in 83 i've just got to remind you guys that uh, each and every edition of our show past present and future is out there if you know where to look to do some time traveling of your own there'll be more about that a little later on as well as a visit to the matrix of all knowledge to us that's the fandom podcast network of course to hear about all the other wonderful shows over there I suppose the first thing that we that we should start with, really, when we talk about the Longleat event, is to sort of embed it, really, in the, the general picture of Doctor Who fandom at the time. There were two Doctor Who exhibition locations were, that were open for several months of the year, every year, weren't there? There was one famously in Blackpool, which we've spoken about at length on top, Type 40 before, but there was also the Longleat destination, too, wasn't there? As you say, at the, the house, the home, the ancestral home of the Mar Marquis of Bath, Simon? Yeah, absolutely, That's the Marcus right. of Bath, and 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 he was there. He was at the event. He was he was kind of the uh, the MC, or he certainly opened and closed the event, and didn't really seem to know what on earth Doctor Who was, but he loved it anyway. He was an eccentric, I believe, Phil. We weren't really interested in Lord Bath, <laughs> and also the speculation that I remember on the Sunday was, will Tom Baker be here on? The, you know, will will Tom Baker be here on on the Monday? And then rumours started spreading that he'd arrived because he came for the... They, they all had a party, I think, in the library or something, um, on the Sunday night for the guests. 
and Tom was there. So that, that soon started spreading round the following morning. These two uh, exhibitions, they'd been both in place for several years, hadn't they? And Doctor Who celebrities being there, usually at the start of the season, that was quite a common thing, wasn't it, guys? And people would you know, turn up, children would turn up by the dozens, wouldn't they? I didn't go every year during the 70s to Longley, which was, I was in Bournemouth at the time. So there, I, I never got to Blackpool until 1985, the last season when I went up on my own for a few days. But Longleat was where I went. We'd go on a, I'd go on a coach trip, probably no more than twice a year, until 82, which was when I joined the Dwas and started to get in, met other Doctor Who fans and sort of got involved in fandom, sort of, you know, in fan activities. Um, and then I started to go more than once a year because we go as a group. The first event I remember going to where there was a personality there was, was 82, I think August 82, and Peter Davison and JNT was there, and Lovett Bickford, actually, the director of the Leisure Hive, was there as well. But I think it was the 29th of August. I don't know why that's in my head, but <laughs> 1982. So Peter was in costume. You know, the queues were enormous, and you just threaded your way through the through the exhibition. And he was signing in the console room. There used to be there used to be guests would often turn up for the Blackpool exhibition more so. They would right. Blackpool exhibition would always get for the grand opening of a season. Yeah, for the grand opening, uh, and generally they tended to get a doctor there to reopen Blackpool. Uh, Blackpool, yeah, Longleat tended right. not to have that quite as often. Right, I right. discovered that the Doctor Who exhibition was there, uh, and because we got a caravan, so every year then from about 77, 78, I would go to Blackpool. So I can certainly still remember, same as Phil, I first found out about the celebration after um, probably Mordred and Dead or something like that. I can't think which, which episode it would have been. The, the, the 20th season was, was airing at the time. Um, and so I can still remember the caption card coming up immediately after one of the episodes with this announcement yeah. about the celebration. And literally, it was like all my Christmases had come at once. Uh, not only because it was Doctor Who, but because it was at Longleat as well, where we always used to go. For me personally, I don't think there was ever any question whatsoever as to whether or not I was going to go to this. I, that was it. I, I immediately that week, I remember getting my parents to send off the check or whatever it was to book me tickets for, for the two days. Um, and it was never in any any doubt at all that, that we'd be going. I think something like, like this event uh, over a two day period was unheard of in this country geared around a TV show. The idea, I mean, I remember seeing a form or some sort of advert in Doctor Who monthly as it was at the time. With the, with the words. I didn't really understand what I was reading or what was being offered. I think, had I, I think it would have blown my mind. I was just too young to sort of take it all in. I, I was at that place where I, I believed that I was the only Doctor Who fan in the world. I think we've all been through that phase. And so to hear that, I didn't really know what a convention was. I don't think I could conceive of it, Phil. But behind the scenes, of course, at the BBC, working on Doctor Who and acting as a sort of ringmaster was, of course, John Nathan Turner. He'd been in the role for about two or three years at this point, hadn't he? He had mastered the whole publicity circuit, hadn't he? Maybe inspired by what had built up around Star Trek in, in the States and then globally. I'm not sure. But I think if, if I was JT at the time, and, and knowing what I know about him now, you would you would look at the, the date that was looming up in 83. You, the fact you got these two destinations, staging something like that at Blackpool, knowing Blackpool, the, the surrounding area, it would have been 
just impossible. But something like Longleat, with all those grounds, all that scope, and the uh, the sensitive ear of the Marquis of Bath, who was always very proud, apparently, to have Doctor Who as an installation at, at Longleat House. Oh, yeah. All those stars aligned. So... I was wondering, you know, we saw these these various ads and coupons pop up that you could fill in and and, and uh, claim your ticket for this event. Do you know, Phil, how how long in advance did J and T begin planning this? I imagine it was probably the year before. I imagine so. I mean, he was well aware. I remember. My, I mean, my first convention was Panopticon Five in in eighty two in July eighty two, and I remember John Pertwee. I think it was there being asked a question on a panel saying you know or you know would you come back for a 20th anniversary you know thing and of course he let the cat out of the bag and said well we are we're doing something uh, Did didn't say what because i don't I think it had even that. been written at that point john was always you know very keen on public you know he was just a master master publicity publicity machine really um you know he knew how to publicize because nobody else was going to do it <laughs> at the end of the day the bbc wouldn't know how to publicize anything certainly not back then but he knew that there was you know that there were opportunities there i mean he opened up opportunities in the states as well you know jnt gets yeah. knocked a lot but he was the absolutely the right person to be in charge of the show for the 20th anniversary because if anybody was going to uh, make sure it was handled properly you're right phil it was it was jnt he did for all his faults he knew absolutely what he was doing with that kind of stuff you know whatever decisions you know whether you, whether you, you know agree or disagree with you know the, yeah. some of the creative decisions he made with the show he always did them with the show's interests at heart yeah because he was he was the producer and he loved the show yes you know it wasn't just a job for him it was he loved the show all the publicity stunts you know and for pictures in the papers every time there was a guest star you know people criticized some of the casting but it made headlines it got people to watch on on the at the actual event i can still remember as i'm sure you can phil i remember jnt walking around the event and of course we all knew by that point who jnt was from things like yeah doctor who weekly doctor who magazine um we knew james and i can still remember him walking around in his red satin jacket uh, with his dark shades well, that's on. right uh, yeah and, and he's he got doctor <laughs> who emblazoned on the back of this jacket so puffing away at a cigarette <laughs> absolutely the cigarette permanently there this isn't meant with any disrespect for jane t at all but he definitely you got the feeling that he was absolutely in charge there he was wandering around the entire event the whole weekend happily signing autographs chatting to people but he walked around with authority you knew this was his little world this was it at this point in time he was in he was the man he he occupied this space he was this sweet spot between the old style movie mogul I think we I think we described yes. it as a bit of a mogul when we had Chris Chapman on the on the show last year to talk about the showman. So it was it was half movie mogul, but the other half of him was sort of a Cameron Mackintosh kind of figure, one of these impresarios that work in the West End. Yes. And it, it just seemed yeah. to know instinctively what the audience what the audience wanted, what we were about, why well, the public watched Doctor Who. Yeah, and also, as I say, the and thing is, as he was walking around the, the, the Longleat celebration, and he was there the entire time, you, you literally saw him so often, you, 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 and yet there was no arrogance in him. He wasn't walking around arrogantly, although he was walking around oozing confidence and oozing, this is my show, yeah. uh, welcome to my world. It wasn't done in an arrogant 
uh, self-centred, egotistical way at all. It was done in a loving way. But I do kind of think he was quite concerned about the crowds. Yes. I think that's why he ended... I think, I think, I don't know whether it was Peter or Peter Davison or he, but I think he was probably the one behind getting Peter Davison to go down the crowds, you know, the queues of traffic and people wait, trying to get in during the day just to try and keep them a bit sweeter. The fact, um, that's the thing that people say about the event, isn't it? They were expecting X amount of people. Simon, you probably know the numbers of people that yeah, they were expecting. Uh, yeah, they were expecting, I think, around about ten or 12,000 at most, and I think they got about 25,000 or something ridiculous like that. It was a, it was a phenomenal amount, a phenomenal amount of people. Um, now, I, I mean, I can certainly remember on the, the first day, on the, on the Sunday, that was definitely the worst day for queues through nobody's fault other than just purely the number of people there trying to get in. Uh, if, you were, if you were a ticket holder, as I was, and obviously Phil was as well, you, you just got in immediately without any problem. I remember a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of kerfuffle, but nothing. There was no major queue or anything to get in. It was for the people who were arriving speculatively, just turning up, hoping to just buy a ticket on the door, because what you've got to remember is nobody was told at that point that you couldn't just turn up and get a ticket on the door. You could. They were welcoming them. They, they, were, they were quite happy for people just to turn up. It wasn't like a convention now where you've got to have pre-booked. No, you could literally turn up on the door and get a ticket. This is important to remember. This is Doctor Who with literally thousands and thousands. They gridlocked the roads in the whole area surrounding Longleat trying to get to this event. We think of Doctor Who as, as as having its kind of golden era, we say the David Tennant years, when it was the most popularist and popular amongst the public. But it was just as popular back then. And people couldn't get in to the extent where eventually they were going on the radio, on Radio 2, saying, please do not try to go to the celebration at Longley. You can't get there. It's, it's right, gridlocked. That's right. Well, Ed Stewart was broadcasting live, wasn't he? he? He was broadcasting live over the weekend. I've got a tape recording of it somewhere. Absolutely. Um, Ed, Ed, Stewart, Ed Stewart was up in a little, um, a, little, a, gla a little glass booth. Remind us, Simon, who was, for the people out there who don't know, who was Ed Stewart? Ed Stewart was one of the, he's one of my heroes, Ed Stewart. He was, he was oh. one of the Radio 2 DJs and he used to do Junior Choice on, on, uh, on Radio 2 every Saturday morning for kids broadcasting legend sadly died a couple of years ago about five years ago now and it, but he was still doing his junior choice on christmas day every every year up until the year that he died um and so he yeah. was there broadcasting on radio two because he got a radio two show so the bbc broadcast live and it's out there on youtube you can you can go and find oh, this really he would have had he would have had his booth set up yeah, the entire time, and he would just be playing his usual show, but yeah. he would get guests on and maybe some of the. Well, audience. no, he was wandering around as well. He was wandering around with a microphone too, and, and a and a sound recorder guy because he was going around wandering around interviewing people in the various different areas, like the the um, the set tent and and that kind of thing, and interviewing some of the guests. Going, I remember him walking around with a big, you know, fluffy mic. He was huge, and so for him to be there as well, it really gave the whole event this real feel of legitimacy and and celebration. You know, this was a much buzz, bigger, a real buzz. It was, it, yeah, a real buzz. It was the first convention I'd been to. Unlike Phil, I hadn't been to any. I didn't even know Doctor Who conventions existed. Going to Longleat was when I first found out about the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. Again, I didn't know that existed. So it was my very first convention. And it was only going to conventions afterwards I realised that they were quite um, 
Doctor Who Appreciation Society style conventions at that point were really quite staid and quite stuffy and quite, you know, quite serious in comparison at that point. Whereas the celebration at Longley, it was literally, it was a party. I, I, I can't, <laughs> you, you can't get across how much. This was just an absolute explosion of excitement and fun. I'm right, aren't I, Phil? It was brilliant atmosphere. It was just very different, I think, being outdoors and cold. It was quite cold. It was I cold. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was cold. Um, great at least Britain, it wasn't raining. In the middle of Easter? You must be joking. And there were very few facilities is, on site. And this is the other thing, of course, we've got to remember the aftermath of this. I mean, I know we're jumping ahead of ourselves a bit here, but, you know, talking of quagmires, the aftermath of, of the Longleat celebration, you could see by the Sunday, you could see that by the Monday afternoon, all of the yeah. ground was just literally, it had all turned into a quagmire. And apparently it took them a couple of years to get the grass at Longleat back to how it was. Because <laughs> what you've got to remember, <laughs> the site, the site that covered a huge area. This wasn't just like, again, like, like you might hold a convention in one hall. It was across the entire area of, of Longleat. There were there were marquees all over the place, um, and so there were thousands of people just stamping over the grass. The, the grass where there's normally the little sign saying "Please don't walk on the grass." Forget that. It was just it was a it was a mud bath by the end of it. And as you described, in between going to see the, the standard things that we expect at a convention now, so there'd be various panels in various enclosed areas, wouldn't there? And there would yep. be, understandably, big queues to go and see our heroes. And I, I understand that some of the guests, in particular Tom Baker, there was a sort of will he, won't he about it all. But generally, it was accepted that, for example, the, the doctor at the time, Peter Davison, would be there. But Peter... He was that overwhelmed by the by the huge crowds, was those numbers that we were talking about, that he did, as Phil described, he ventured out, didn't he, into out into the public to, uh, I suppose, to just make sure that they they stayed in line and, and kept waiting and, and to reassure them that they were going to see what they travelled in some cases all that distance, probably a couple of hundred of mi hundred miles to see them all and and to be part of this but experience. They were there. A lot of people didn't get in. They did travel all that no. distance. And they simply didn't get through the doors. They got as far as we're looking here, which is basically the queue queuing up to the front doors. And this was as close as they got. And in the end, not yeah. only did, did, did Peter Davison go out, but also they took, as Phil mentioned, they took Bessie out. And John Pertwee again drove up and down the lines, just basically trying to to, to give these people who'd, who'd come from miles around, a bit of a show. just to give them something. But the fact that they were basically going to be turned away and told you you couldn't get in. You've booked your tickets. You're down at the event. But how much did you know in advance? There was the whole question of Tom Baker and everything. Yeah, that was only when we were there. I don't think they announced but, guests. No, we because there wasn't no. there wasn't any any you know there wasn't social media to be able to do that. You know, there's the actual. The, 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 I mean, the standard exhibition was the there. Special effects team were there, arrangement they? of special effects, radiophonic workshop. But it was just this is a celebration event. Buy a ticket. There was no, well, you know, oh, well, John Pertwee will be there on one day, and you know, so we didn't know. The, the earliest I knew anything at all was when I picked up the program. I got the I, I got the program. Yeah, I've now, got that I, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually managed somehow. I managed to pick this up literally the day before. So I bought. I managed to buy this on the Saturday. I'm guessing it was because I was, as I recall, because I was hanging around the entire. You were day there. Yeah. 
think I must have just managed to, to nab one of these. Um, and so I can remember on the Saturday going back to my parents' caravan and sitting reading it. And, and so the earliest you got a, any idea of anything that was going on was when you managed to get this and you got the programme of events. And that yeah. was basic. That, that was the earliest you knew. So I knew the day before. I was planning, literally the day before, I was planning what I was, <laughs> going, to be, what I was going to be doing, planning my, planning my day out um, from the program. But that was the earliest you knew anything at all. And for most yeah. people that were just arriving on the morning, you'd walk through the door, buy one of these, and then you'd start looking, okay, what are we going to do? So it was quite, um, quite a sort of frenetic weekend. There was a lot going on. You had a lot to choose from. And at that time, of course, there were no vid BBC videos or anything. In fact, they took a poll in the merchandise tent, you know, as to what should be the first Doctor Who video. Um, and I think Tomb of the Cybermen came up top. But, of course, that didn't exist at the time. So they that's went right. for Revenge of the Cybermen instead. I understand that although, although they weren't marketing, it wasn't a slick marketing thing the way that we get now, items of merchandise were launched there was a massive merchandise tent. Now, again, you know, for a 14-year-old who, who at that point, the closest I'd got to any Doctor Who merchandise was buying a, a Target book in Smith's or John Menzies, or maybe going to the tiny little booth in the, in the Longleat exhibition. So to go into a marquee, and it is full, wall-to-wall, -wall of Doctor Who merchandise, all your Christmases have come at once. The poster prints that you've got behind you, they, they're the work of Andrew Skillet, aren't they? Who, at that point, he'd also been connected with Target, hadn't he? He'd been an, an artist on those book covers yeah. for, again, for three, maybe four years. Some of our, our favourite ever covers, and he turned he turned his hand to a... Uh, I suppose he went into business, in effect, didn't he? Create a, uh, he created a business called Who Dares Publishing. Yeah, yeah he created Who Dares Publishing, yeah. That's right. And, and were those right. the first items of merchandise that came out under Who Dares, Simon? Absolutely. Yes. This, this was it. Nice, and, nice. and again, I can just remember the excitement of, again, you, it's difficult now in today's context to put your head into that headspace where we had nothing. You know, a Target novel was as exciting as it got. So to go in and see stuff like this that you'd never, you didn't even know existed, it, it, again, people were just snapping these up like they were, there was no tomorrow. Again, they Gorgeous A3 poster prints but they were completely original artwork weren't they that that andrew he hadn't taken his book covers for example and just turned those into posters they were specially no, he did that later painted he did that later yeah what i'm interested in though is that the jnt and everybody else there that was that was um sort of seizing the day or seizing the two days jnt was doing this although there was no multimedia conglomeration to sort of rely on to get word out and to feed it he did have the dwas he did have doctor who monthly as it was then and he did have enterprising people who also had a connection with the audience like andrew skeleton they had licenses to do this kind of thing from bbc enterprises i think lorne martin who you know who who was managing the bbc exhibitions at the time would have been a big player in this and i think julie jones oh. as well um, you know, so it it wasn't just JNT doing this on his own because he he was the producer of the show first and foremost. He was a key player, a key consultant with with what was going on. Lord Martin was um, responsible for managing BBC Enterprises exhibitions, not just Doctor Who, because they'd done other ones. I think the reason that they that they got the Doctor Who one at Longleat originally in the 70s was because they'd done very successful costume displays of Henry, of the costumes from Henry the, um, Six Wives of Henry VIII and Elizabeth R in the house. 
and so BBC Enterprises had had a link. That was in the early seventies. I think they had um, a, at the same site, and then it was expanded. They had a lunar module, uh, a mock-up of a moon, lunar module, and stuff on display there, and so they thought Doctor Who would be a good fit alongside that. Um, and then the Doctor Who took over. But this is why, and I know I keep saying this, but it really is a case of trying to get into the headspace of, in those days, we had very little. Um, and so to go into this this celebration, and celebration is by far the best word for it. This was far more than just a convention. And like you say, Dan, nothing had been done like this before. This didn't. This was not like Dwos conventions. No. Or, or ever again. I mean, that was the You're point. Right. It, <laughs> or ever because because it ended up being such in a way it ended up being a nightmare obviously yes. for B for the bbc because there was an awful lot of people who were disgruntled it was all right for us we were inside yeah. you know we didn't really get a sense of what was going on outside really until after you know we weren't affected by by what was going on outside and you, that's right <laughs> and you felt and you felt really sorry they drafted in a load of um, of, of of military personnel to, to and put and put them in the put them in um unit jumpers and unit and unit caps and they were the stewards to right. get but they were just they were just the <laughs> yeah. they oh, were the stewards weren't they they were basically the stewards you got to remember that they the bbc simply didn't expect these many people to turn up so they simply were drowning under people trying to keep everybody happy um and that was a really difficult thing to do and so so many people i think quite a unfairly say that Longley 83 is just remembered for the for the cues well for me as a 14 year old no it wasn't I do remember Phil's quite right that that, that yeah there was um there was the video tent there and, and this is again is the time when no videos were available at all um you were very lucky if you got an occasional repeat and so you know looking down there was the Dalek invasion of earth the dominators terror of the zygons i can remember because i saw i i remember on the certainly on the monday morning rushing that was the first thing i went to was the tent to watch terror of the autons and me too uh, <laughs> that was me i i remember being terrified by that as a kid um, but did you get in phil did and, you manage to get in yes oh yeah 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 well because i was one of the first in because right. i was camping on site yeah so i mean I, I was always amongst the first sort of dozen in in the morning on both days and i was the same um, yeah but i but I, I i didn't i think i saw a bit of i think i saw the first episode of dalek invasion of earth on on the previous day and i'd looked in the, the you know the door of the tent on on you know on a few occasions on some of the others but terror of the autumns i made a specific yeah i aimed for I, I, d I did as well. I, I wanted to go for autons, and I got in. And to be honest, I, I stayed in there about 10 minutes. Um, I got a place, <laughs> and I stayed in about 10 minutes. Because simply, to be honest, I don't know. I just wanted to go and see the panels with all the doctors on and all that. And I, I've spoken to people since that literally spent the entire weekend in the video tent watching back-to-back -back episodes. Yeah. And now... Yeah, some and, people did. Yeah, and, but forever since have regretted it simply because we now, we don't need that anymore. And, and they missed all the, <laughs> all the panels that they would have been better to go and see the panels. And I'm very glad that ultimately I skipped on all the video stuff apart from about 10 minutes of autons. And I just watched the panels and went round the tents, yeah. merchandise tents, etc.
Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to the Fandom Podcast Network and all of the other awesome shows we have to offer. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, our weekly pop culture news podcast. Blood Kings, our Highlander podcast. Couch Potato Theater, our podcast celebrating our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite pop culture topics. Enzo, the NFL podcast. Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville podcast. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our Doctor Who podcast. Lethal Mullet, a 1980s and 90s action film podcast. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast. And our newest show, Making Treks, a new Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. You can enjoy all of these great Fandom Podcast Network shows on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Facebook under Fandom Podcast Network. You can also email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalised you there, now let us clothe you too. Head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of the team colours for all those shows on t-shirts, hats, mugs, and a TARDIS full of other items. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the network continuing to fill your ears with 100% fabulous fandom goodness. I went to some of the panels. I was there for the opening, certainly for the opening ceremony. Yeah, me too. Lord Bath came on and gave a speech. So Peter Davison did it after Lord Bath, I think. And then John Pertwee did the first panel. Pretty sure I was there for the whole of that. It, Lord Bath basically opened it in his, as I say, in a terribly upper crust sort of way. Yes. Oh, welcome, to, welcome to Longleat. It's lovely to see you all here today for this Star Trek convention. I'm sure he said Star Trek. I'm sure he said Star Trek <laughs> at some point. And, uh, and then you're right, Phil. Peter Davison came in uh, and, and said, hello, welcome. And of course, he was in costume. It was so exciting for that first hour. Pertweed was, was totally in control there. Yeah. He was absolutely the right person to put on as the first panel. It was it was electrifying. Yeah, I got in that main tent for the opening ceremony and stayed there for the entire day, pretty much on that first. Sunday. Oh wow! I certainly saw the Troughton years, and Troughton was interesting because he was so quiet. I remember yeah. being quite um, quite not, uh, disappointed. Is the wrong word? You, you're never disappointed by Patrick Troughton. Surprised, maybe more so. He was very quiet and almost almost apologetic for being there. It, it, uh, I don't know. I think he was just shy. I think everyone else, they may have been rather intimidated, especially outside, because as soon as they went outside of the tent, even though they had some of the military stewards around them, people just zoomed in on them, you know, and they were surrounded wherever they went, um, escorting between wherever the hospitality was, the green room, and uh, and where they were supposed to be, you know, whether it's on a panel or doing autographs in the, in the orangery or whatever. 
Troughton, I think, was just generally quite shy at that point. That was like the first thing he'd done. Yeah. I do remember. I remember asking him a question. <laughs> in the, in the, in in the, the, in the. Do you remember the question? He not long not long before because they publicised it. Peter Davison and Patrick Troughton appeared on Breakfast Time with Selena Scott and Bra and Frank Boff. Um, That's right. A short, a, not that long beforehand to publicise it, and Canine was there and a Dalek. Patrick Troughton had inadvertently given away the fact that the Daleks would be in the Five Doctors. As it turned out, one Dalek. But um, we knew nothing about the Five Doctors at that point. Remember, but I think uh, they, I think they were talking about the Daleks, and Peter Davison said, um, "Well, I've yet to meet the Daleks," um, and Troughton said something like, "Oh." Oh, yes, we have. Oh, oh, no, we haven't. Or something like that. Anyway, it was a little slip of the tongue. And so I but, just asked because JNT was on the panel with um, with Pat. And I remember just saying, you know, did he get any flack from the producer for revealing that the Daleks would be in the 20th anniversary special <laughs> on breakfast time? And uh, and I remember, <laughs> I, I think JNT smiled and Pat sort of said, I don't think I did, did I? I don't think I did. And then JNT went, mm, yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly, uh, as Phil says, this was this was Patrick Trout's first convention appearance, and, and, and yeah. he was notoriously a shy man, and he didn't like talking about his craft. He didn't like talking about stuff to do with acting. Yeah, and, and I don't think he remembered all that much either anyway. You know, it was like three intense years of, of hard, right. hard graft. That's and so right. I think pretty much, the memories kind of blended into one another much like tom really you know you, when you're in it you're in it and you don't really remember it's the guest it's the guest artist quite often who would have stronger memories of stories specifically because they just came in and did one thing that's right um you know or a few things across the years I, um, that's right i don't know whether you saw the, the, the tom baker part yes I, i'm fair for that yeah, definitely so, yeah for me bearing in mind tom baker was my absolute hero um again that was quite sobering to be there firstly obviously it was just the most thrilling thing in the world to be in the same breathing space as tom baker um but again he was tom he was he was um reserved i think is 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 the fairest thing to say with regards to that. I remember somebody asking him whether he regretted not being in The Five Doctors and he gave a quite a prickly response. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things in life I regret. Uh, so, so. Because this, and this, and it's fair, we just got to say to people out there who may not be aware, this was around eight or nine months before The Five Doctors would air, isn't yeah. it? So we the public hasn't seen yeah. it yet. We we knew the five doctors was happening certainly, and and don't forget as well in the in the in one of the marquees where they got all the sets, there were two uh, sets from the five doctors. Yeah, they had the Gallifreyan uh, meeting room or the whatever it was room. called, the, the conference, conference room. They had Rattalon's you know dark room or whatever it oh, was, yeah, the, oh, and. Yeah, the and, and the unit, or something else was there as well. Office, the oh, unit. that's right. And then the unit unit headquarters was there. That's right. Yeah. We, we, nobody knew what these sets were. It said that what it said that they were from the five yeah. doctors, but we hadn't. Th th you couldn't connect them to anything. So to no, we didn't know the context. We no, didn't know no why context. they were there and what they were there. <laughs> and, and also, they weren't very well lit. They were literally no. in a marquee. Yeah, you know, with in ordinary. So actually, it's very hard to find some really decent photographs yeah. of them because they were so dark. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also, I didn't and even also, know they were there. 
Yeah, they, and yeah. they've got the full they've got the full TARDIS control room there as well with the Davison, you know, the proper Fifth Doctor um, control with panel. Chameleon. With chameleon, with chameleon, you just filed past these and you and you saw them. You, you saw all these sets, and and again, that's it's all you phenomenal. could do is file past because the queues were so long. You you yeah. could only really sneak snake your way through. You couldn't linger. No, 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 you know there were too many people waiting. No, you, it was it was on a you were on a conveyor belt. You just moved past at this kind of speed, and that and that was all you could do. Um, but but as I say, I remember Tom B, Tom Baker being, but he was great. You have to remember as well. This was with Tom Baker. He'd not long left the show, and he was very very actively trying to distance himself from the show purely for for, for work reasons. You know that's that that's what it comes down to. So you can't really blame him for. Little, and there's a difference between trying to distance no. yourself from the show itself and the fan base and the audience. Yeah, he wasn't trying to do that. No. And also, I think the fact that he was there was down to JNT. Even though he and J- John hadn't necessarily got on particularly well when John took over, they, they had actually got on very well socially. And it was John that, I think, persuaded him to come along. I think he was, yes, he was trying to distance himself because I think it was a hard decision to make. Yes. You know, I think after that long, you know, and he knew he he needed to get out. The very first person I ever interviewed with with the friend of mine, John Heckford, was that the previous December when he was touring with the Royal Shakespeare Company with Educating Rita. Um, And we'd managed, we, we managed to arrange an interview with him before the show on the Friday night at Paul. He and the when we were waiting, the stage manager or whatever had said, "Oh, you know, Tom's going to go back and be doing Doctor Who again." And we sort of looked at each other and we thought, "What?" Um, and so we asked him about this, and he said, "Well, J and T had come down to see him when the show was in Brighton the week before, and that was when they'd gone out after the show and obviously gone to the pub or whatever." And John was trying <laughs> to persuade him to do the Five Doctors. Oh you know, Tom just thought it's too soon. And I don't think he was that impressed with that version or whatever version of the script he'd been shown. I don't think the, the script had even been finished at that point, you know. And it's, but, but, um, but but I but do it, I do remember that. <laughs> but it's but it's funny because when you when you see Tom when he was in here when he was in the role any his heyday when he was in some of those publicity photos that you see when he was opening Blackpool or he was at, at any event he is literally in command and he's taking the stage yeah. and he's a bullion in, 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 in excess and yet at Longleat's he was very subdued in comparison. You saw quite a quite a, a much. Yes. Dark, the, the, I think the simple way to explain it is he was very much like he was in season eighteen, as opposed to how he was in say season fourteen <laughs> or fifteen. When he that's, wasn't the star anymore, was he? You know, no. Peter Davison was the star. You know, yes. so I, I think Davison years forum was at four o'clock on the Sunday. That was the last panel of the day, and I was certainly there. And there was a real frisson of excitement seeing uh, as the whole, as the current team came out and sat there. So you'd not only got Peter Davison in costume, you'd got Janet Fielding, you'd got Sarah Sutton, you'd got Anthony Ainley. And so to get that whole team out... And Valentine Dial. And Valentine, Valentine Dial. Dial. Yeah, you're right. And so... Yeah, so to get that whole current team out in front of your eyes in one go... And season 20 had only ended a few weeks ago, hadn't it, on the TV? Literally a couple of weeks. Yeah, literally, yeah. The King's Demons were still fresh in our minds, and we still got the Five Doctors (laughs) to look forward to. You know, this is the thing. By then we knew the Five Doctors was coming. 
I was going to say, talking about the fan experience and the buzz, what I was wondering about was, you know, you, you were there with your parents, Simon, for this long weekend, you know, and, and, and Phil, you know, you were there with your tent in the, in the mud. But how, <laughs> how did you find relating to the other fans? Was there a sense of camaraderie there? Did you make it? Did you meet people there that you already knew, either in, in day-to-day oh, life or, as, or from pen pals or whatever? Or did you make any friends at the event? Was, was there much of a fellow feeling there that transmitted amongst the, the fans? Uh, I, I, certainly, I certainly went up with, with some local friends, you know, fan friends that I'd made over that last year three four five people i think and then maybe i probably saw other people that i I'd, I'd met you know at the first the, the panopticon the previous year you know time was precious if you like you know and because of the cues you know you ended up being quite focused and deciding yes. well i'm going to go here now and then oh no it's too big a queue right let's go there and so it wasn't that easy to plan i mean i think it's great that you were in that forum tent the whole weekend i sort of dipped in and around um, I, I, and, I, I, I don't know why i don't know I, I, there was no great plan in my mind that i could see no. the cute crowd so i thought no no i just because i was so obsessed with seeing my heroes i just stayed in that tent yeah and and, and but phil's right it very much you had to kind of stay focused certainly on the on the second day i remember staying quite focused as to trying to get round places and no that's busy so i'll go here but i do remember on the very first day while i was queuing to get into the forum tent for the first time and getting my place i i just got chatting to the to the girl in front of me and i don't know where she's now i can't even remember her name uh, she shared her i remember her sharing her um, chicken sandwiches with me this is when i was not vegetarian <laughs> and i remember her sharing a chicken sandwich and so we spent the entire weekends together then i can't even my memory is terrible this was in the days before the internet you didn't you, i'd have just hooked up with facebook oh, yeah. The fact that I managed on the Saturday just wandering around, the screen used TARDIS was sitting there. Nobody was around, it wasn't guarded. I could have just walked off with it if I'd wanted to. It's just sitting there. So I just got my parents to take a photo of me standing. So I, for a while, I actually got to go into the TARDIS and just and just kick around on my own in the TARDIS. <laughs> that would now you, definitely be behind a rope or, or something uh, like that. Makes yeah. your brain oh, yeah. about it. And I got into the TARDIS, nobody else. And, and, and so that was so for, so if anything for me that was the saturday was the most exciting of all of the days because i saw it being set up so there's this anticipation of, of what was to come and as it yeah. rolled as it rolled on obviously two days is a long time when particularly for some of the younger people who would have been there but it was it was steadily more of the same so there was more panels going into the monday more sort of workshops and uh, exhibits with, you know, things with the effects team, like we were talking yeah. about the production designers. Yeah, and the radiophonics. The, the, there's one thing we haven't mentioned. Sorry, I must get, I must get in, is the auction tent. Woohoo! The auction tent. The okay. Okay. So, what were they walking? What were they auctioning off, Phil? Everything. Well, they were. I don't know whether Simon's got the list. I have got the list somewhere. A huge amount of, you know, Pages. what would be considered now holy grail items. You know, um, of costumes from Doctor Who and and Blake. Of Seven. screen use, screen oh, use. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Props and okay. models and costumes. The there, there was there was the fly from the Green Death that went. Yeah, they, the fly from the Green Death. Um, I, I've got a, there's there's one particular moment. There's one particular moment I've got to talk. I've got I've got to mention because they would also get the guests in to help sell some of the items. Uh, and I would pop in. I didn't have enough money to buy anything there. You know, I, sh I wish I had. 
but you know i was just i was just a you know a, low, a lowly till assistant in a supermarket so there was no way i could afford to buy anything there but um but i went in there and ian levine was obviously you know was was looking after things he was like the auctioneer along with somebody else oh he was and the one with the hammer I, was it yeah i think he was yeah the gavel, yeah, yeah. The gavel um, that's the word the gavel the gavel that's right and and they had racks and racks of costumes and things like that anyway I, I, one particular moment i went in there and john pertwee was there and they were auctioning off a tomb cyberman suit yeah so they had several i think they had two or three of those that would have been 16 years old at that point. Uh, quite a, yes, a that's right. Yeah, year. it was yeah. a, a moon-based moon tomb Cyberman suit. Um, and the next lot coming up was a, was a moon-based tomb Cyberman helmet. Yeah. They also auctioned off the Cyber Controller's head as well at that event as well. But anyway, so they auctioned this, and I think it went for something like about 150 quid. Uh, you know, which is nothing when you think about it now in today's money. That You know, but even so. And the guy went up. And John Pertwee, here we go, you know, here you are, here's your suit. And he reached over and gave him the helmet as well. And really? Ian Levine got into a... So no, 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 no. He was only bidding on the... And Pertwee said, you can't give yes, the chap a suit without this. the head. And so this lucky guy went away with a complete tomb outfit for 150 quid. <laughs> the the highest cool. lot was the um, was Tom Baker's coat from season... That's right, the brown... Yeah, eight, the brown coat. Eight, yeah. 800 pounds. That went for 800 pounds, which was a heck of a lot of money then. Yeah, I think it was an American who bought it. It was yeah. an American fan. And I, I remember things like, you know, there was the toolbox from Earth, Shock went, um, so many different props. That, that it, it was literally heartbreaking to watch. It was very exciting on the one hand. It was exciting to stand yeah. there. What was amazing with this is that, is that the BBC just simply, nobody expected them to go for the prices and get the interest that it, that it was getting. So we, everybody was just standing there with jaws aghast as the prices were just going up up and up and up it was incredible to watch they hadn't auctioned them off they might have ended up in a skip well that's so true at least they at least they went yeah. out there to to fans who, who wanted them but i think what's heartbreaking is that you and i couldn't afford them phil that's what's no of course not no absolutely yeah <laughs> okay so you couldn't afford to bid in the auction but you enjoyed the spectacle of it simon you've you've still got your poster prints from 1983 from longleat 83 phil have you got any mementos from the time too not to hand i'm sure i might have i don't if I rustled through this thing, I might find a bag. I don't know. Have you, still got, have you still got your ticket, Phil? Yes, I've still got that. I haven't got it to hand, but I posted no, a picture I... the other day. Yeah, I've got the red one, which which is for the weekend. For the two days. That's right. And I'm the same. I've got the yeah, sort of plus orange. the cap, plus the um the camping sticker and everything. E everything that they sent, I've still got in the same envelope. I've still got the envelope. I did buy. I remember I bought a frisbee. <laughs> a Doctor Who frisbee. <laughs> A Doctor Who yellow, a yellow Doctor Who uh, celebration frisbee, I think, which I sold a few years I, I back. Remember, <laughs> I, I remember. Um, but yeah, I think it's the memories, isn't it? It's it's being it's the there and the memories. And certainly, I mean, I can remember on the on the second day, on the Monday, because I spent the entire first day in the in the forum tent watching watching it. I see most of the interview panels I wanted to see, so I spent most of the Monday going around the various other tents. And yeah, there was the Radiophonic Workshop tent there, and I remember watching Brian Hodgson giving a really interesting talk about showing clips of of, of um, enlightenment without the um, without the incidental music on. Oh, nice. uh, so he was 
was doing a proper workshop with a little video and they were playing these clips and showing them with and then he showed live on on a on a key a synthesizer as i recall actually making some music up there was the makeup tent there was the props tents and, and there were literally the cyber guns from Earthshock just sitting on a table that you could pick up and hold completely free no problem at all to just pick them up no problem at all there was Zaphod Beeblebrox's head sitting on a table again you could you know you could touch this stuff there was a, a relics relics from the golden age of British sci-fi TV yeah yeah <laughs> as I recall I think Phil am I right in thinking I think they might have had the exploded Dalek from from the five doctors in there I think they've got the the destroyed Dalek with the with the mutant in it mm spilling out in the props tent i'm sure they might have i kind of think that was one tent that i never made must i never got into and maybe i did i certainly went into the costume tent because yeah. they had lots of costumes around as well and they had some of madame two swords um waxworks from the from yeah. the doctor experience that had been there the yeah. previous couple of years they certainly had tom baker's megloss and, and again because the crowds were so big you kind of had to get this close to them um, you didn't really have much choice in the matter. So, so you know, <laughs> I, me- I remember poking um, Megalos. I remember, I remember literally poking the Megalos. The, the, the little, the little, I was intrigued about the little spines and see whether whether they were sharp on Megalos. Must be quite it, intoxicating for a young a young fan who's seen these things. That's the perfect description, Dan. It was intoxicating. It was it was it was like an explosion in your head because it was something that you never in a million years as a Doctor Who fan thought you would get to experience all of this in this concentrated head rush, really. It was that, it was that <laughs> magical. It was special. I think It wasn't probably until afterwards that you realised what it was. I wasn't really thinking too much about how great it was, I suppose, at the oh, time. Oh, I wasn't. You're right. But then when you look back... You know, and you just think, wow, you know, it was incredible that they managed to get it on in the first place. Yes. Because they'd never done anything like that before on that scale. And, of course, they were never, ever likely to do anything again. What I was wondering about from your perspective, Phil, is to have been in all these tents and to see, you talk about the costumes and these workshops and production design. Of course, you now work yeah. in production design. You are an award-winning production designer. So do, do you think that anything... Obviously, obviously, you've been watching sci-fi at this point for a while. You know, did that... Did seeing these workshops and that kind of thing up close, did that play its part in making you want to work in that field? Whilst it would be lovely to say yes, it could have been further from my head. I mean, I was 18. Back to us. Um, I think... I think I was 18. That's all right. It must have gone in <laughs> there, Phil. It must have uh, gone in there. Maybe it did. But then I think Doctor Who and BBC oh. production and all of that, because Doctor Who was was the only show where you got behind-the-scenes books, really, and things like that, like the making of Doctor Who and all of that. Yes. It was only through those kind of books. I certainly remember getting the first poetry version of that book. Um, you know, and it was like a revelation about you know how they made it. And I think all of that kind of stuff seeped in. But I, I never had any ambition or any thoughts that I would ever likely turn, you know, end up being a designer myself. That came oh, much okay. later, so, really. So, what? Simon, looking, at you, looking across to you, though, you're talking about, about this intoxicating feeling, this, this two, three, four days, because the build-up and the aftermath, it's, it would have all have sort of built for you. I'm... I'm getting the idea now as we talk about this all this Doctor Who all at once it clearly didn't sort of spend you, it, did it spur your fandom on oh. to want to go next level 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I know because you. <laughs> the, the, the long weekend was my awakening as a fan. There is no two ways about it. Because as I say, prior to that, I genuinely kind of felt because I hadn't discovered Dwas at that point. I genuinely felt like I was the only fan in the entire world. Um, there may be other people watched it and kind of enjoyed it, but I genuinely thought, no, I'm I'm the only fan. And so to turn up and find literally just thousands, literally thousands of people there. It definitely spurred me on because I didn't. I didn't suddenly feel like, hold on, I'm the only fan here. Wait, wait. No, no, no. It was. I suddenly felt a kinship with these people. I realised I wasn't alone. It kind of and justified. It, it legitimised my love of Doctor Who. There's no two ways about it. Um, and so it was immediately after uh, going to Longleat. Immediately I joined Dwas, um, and then I went. To, I'd gone to my first proper Dwas convention by the end of 1983. So. So, so, and it was not long after that that I then set up my own Dwos local group. Um, so, absolutely, there is no doubt whatsoever that Longleat was the point at which I stopped being a viewer and became uh, an obsessed fan. That it absolutely spurred me on to the next level, and it also it was also looking at all that production stuff again because again we've got to remember there was no you, you hadn't seen this kind of stuff on television of the making props, putting putting um, uh, incidental music on top of an unfinished scene. You'd ne- you got no concept of that. So to see all that again, it fired my imagination from a television production point of view, and so I know that that did help spur me on to want to work in television. Uh, at that point it wasn't again it wasn't long after that that I first started writing to Pebble Mill saying I want to work in television so I can't emphasize enough that in fact there's me before Longlead and then there's me after Longlead if you know Uh, (laughs) my memory is not great these days but my memory of that Longlead weekend it's it's as clear as it was yesterday I, I, I can remember it photographic memories like it was yesterday from my perspective, Indeed. I'm somebody who had read about it in Doctor Who Monthly. I had seen the the adverts, and you could, as I said earlier on, that you could book tickets for this thing, but I didn't really know what I was looking at. But in the aftermath of it, when Doctor Who Monthly began printing pictures from this event, they were always in black and white as well. I think most of the magazine, if not all of the magazine, apart from the post in the middle, was pretty much in black and white then. They were quite grainy pictures, but I, I still wasn't quite sure what I was looking at. For me, as a like eight, nine-year-old kid growing up in the West Midlands who loved this TV show, it seemed the show itself seemed impossibly glamorous. You know, BBC Television Centre and all these people. And even though I could see these pictures of fans and kids, yes, sometimes as young as I was, or younger, with the Doctor Who actors in those tents. I still couldn't quite believe what I was seeing and put it into some sort of context. I still wasn't quite sure what the word convention meant, but it did mean that from that point onwards, those articles in Doctor Who Monthly, which I tended to sort of skip over to get to the comic strip or to get to the posters that I could pull out or the things that I recognised and understood, it went from seeing articles about Longleat to seeing articles about, say, a convention in Chicago even more glamorous, even more glamorous than Wiltshire locations all over the world. So it did, it did awaken something for me, but it was obviously a much, much slower, 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 slower process. And yeah, it did amp me up for the five doctors where I, I wasn't really sure what to expect all those months later. But I think the five doctors, the, the night of the broadcast of that story completely changed my fandom experience. That's definitely a story for another time. All that I've heard about it since, in the three decades since, it is the Doctor Who fans' uh, Woodstock 
so that in, in my view that we know there were a lot more people there than the BBC than JNT ever expected and certainly the Longleat House could could comfortably accommodate by the sounds of what happened to the grounds afterwards it's one of those things where if all of the people who claim they're at Longleat 83 were actually there then it would have been twice the number. So if you're out there fibbing about this, or maybe you've convinced yourself you were there, I don't know. Maybe we could all be there remotely. There are ways, of course, and some people out there did capture this event, didn't they, on film. Sounds like on audio as well. We can find some of that on YouTube. But if people wish to relive the Longleat experience more so, obviously you flashed up some DVDs earlier on, didn't you, Simon? Yeah. Would, would you advise them to start there? Absolutely. This, this is about as good as it gets. And, and let's be in no doubt at all that uh, the footage on these is not brilliant quality because it's all from VHS cameras. It's just all taken from VHS cameras. So don't expect, you know, HD quality or anything like that. It's ropey quality. Um, but that's because these the, the, all the stuff on here, the, 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 the event was never captured professionally. Um, it was only ever filmed by, by fans. Um, and so that's what these are. And, and as, as Phil says, they're available from, I think it's time travel TV. Um, yeah, yeah, time travel TV real, real time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not expensive. They're about 10 quid, 15 quid, something like that each. Um, and there's and there's about three hours of stuff on here. So you get a heck of a lot of an idea of, of, of what was going on. These yeah. are as good as you will ever get. What what you don't really get from these is the idea that we sort of talked about earlier that um, it covered the site covered a very large area. Um, and so uh, the, the, it was like a 10 minute walk from the forum, for example, over to where the um, inter the, the um, autographs were taking place uh, or, or, or to the radiophonic workshop. It, it was an outdoor, it's a good job it wasn't torrential rain. Phil's right, it was cold, but it wasn't raining, thank goodness. And it's a good job it wasn't because no. there was a heck of a lot of walking between all of this stuff. Um, and it was all outdoors, effectively. You know, everything outdoors. was in Margie's. Yeah. You know, apart from the orangery where the autographs were, that's the only indoor element yeah. of it, and the Doctor exhibition itself. Yeah. You know, pretty much. And you can't help thinking... There was. Had it, had it, I think, had it poured with rain, I can't help thinking that it would have been a much more miserable sad affair because I think the water yeah. would have gone yeah. through the marquees. They, as Phil says, they were only marquees. It would have run through the through the tent holes at the top and uh, the, the, uh, it yeah. would have been a nightmare. Because we're talking about marquees from 1983. We're not yeah. talking about deluxe marquees now. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like so many holidays that I had as a child, guys. You were saying about where to see footage. The BBC did film some of it and I think it's on one of the BBC DVDs. It might be on Maudrin or might be on the Five Doctors. But You're there right. is like a, I think it's like a, a 30 minute, like a film with John Leeson doing a, doing a narration. Yeah, which shows some of the layout and some of the, of what, of the event. It's like a promotional video. You're um, correct. Or film. But oh, there is something, I can't remember how long it is. Maybe it's three quarters of an hour or something. I think it might only be about 10 or 15 minutes now. But there is, some, there is something which gives a little taster. Um, there right. is certainly something about it on, on, the D, on the BBC DVD, which isn't real-time stuff. I, think well, I suppose the other way anyway. to, re to experience it is by talking to older fans as well, people who were there, and to sort of keep these stories moving along, keep them alive, and to, and to yeah, just to talk to one another, as is always. I think that's a, the great part of Doctor Who fandom, is it? the fandom experience, the fact that we can all share this stuff and uh, share the energy and the excitement. I mean, it is, it's wonderful hearing you both talk about this, because, yeah, I, I do. I really, really wish that I was there. I, I went to Longleat House much, much later, 
you know, after Doctor Who had left the screen, after the famous fire as well that, that had uh, damaged or wiped out some of the exhibits there. And so being there, I remember walking along these gardens and some of the, some of the images that you see a lot concerning this event. So I, I remember clocking some of those landmarks. And so going back there 15 years later, even it still, it, it felt spiritually like it was, like it was Dr. Who consecrated ground. <laughs> I, I think in many ways it is. Longleat has always had, I think, I personally think more so than Blackpool. I think it's just it's just been Doctor Who's kind of spiritual home in, in many ways. It certainly has for me personally because of the fact that, as I say, we did Longleat every year for, 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 for many, many years. And so then, as you, again, going back after the event, as I've done many times since, uh, I, I, I tread over the, 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 those old pathways those old gravel pathways that we were walking along that that weekend in 83 takes me right back and going to the orangery and seeing remembering the just the enormous queues for the for the for the autographs because that's where all the autographs were, were in the orangery and i never got one i queued for a while and then had to give yeah, up me uh, too i didn't the queues were too long i remember hanging around outside getting some photos through the door where people came yeah, out did the same uh, thing I, and I also remember Liz Sladen and Caroline Ford chucking away because they hated the portraits on the photo cards they'd had done for the event, and they'd thrown them in the water butt next to the conservatory, which was all which was completely full, obviously, with all the rainfall that had happened on the Saturday evening, and you could see uh. these manky old cards bobbing on the water in the top of this water butt outside, <laughs> and fans scrabbling at them because they they became really them. rare. They're really rare. Yeah. Where those those first two cards of Susan and, and, and Sarah. At least during all of this, you had decent pack lunches, or you could get some food from uh, other attendees. In your case, Simon, I've just yeah. remembered what those biscuits were. They were fig biscuits, everybody. Oh, fig, fig biscuits! Those would make you go oh. to the toilet. Yes. Fig rolls, absolutely. Fig rolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A big favourite of the Hadley family. Sadly for me, it does explain. It does explain a lot. It does explain why some of those car journeys were. Uh, Problematic, I think, is the interesting. Yes, Simon. Simon, you were holding up those DVDs earlier. That sort of segue into what I wanted to quickly talk to Phil about, because yeah, we mentioned earlier on you're a production designer. All those people out there who are wondering what, where, and how we can see some of your work, tell us about your work with Real Time Studios in particular, and where we've seen your production design. Pretty much all of my work is, has been theatre, so it isn't really readily available. A couple of years ago, I was very fortunate to be asked by Keith Barnfather, who uh, was working with Philip Martin, to do um, a spin-off uh, featuring Nabil Shaban as Sill. And, yeah, this, this, this was the, the end result. Sill, <laughs> Sill and, and the, the Devil's Devil Sins of of Arador, yes. It's available on Blu-ray and DVD, yeah. I understand, isn't it? Blu-ray and I DVD, yes, yes. A wonderful achievement for, for yourself, for Keith, and Nabil, and the entire cast. I think so, Sophie's in that one, isn't she? And lots of great people. That's right, uh, yeah. Uh, I got to design Sophie Aldridge's first alien costume. That's a play <laughs> I think this, this sure. is uh, a four-part story, isn't it? So it's divided up into 25-minute chunks, and it's really it ambitious. Is. I mean, that wasn't... Yeah. It's got the flavour of classic Doctor Who, 
and I think it would be great to talk about it at some length. I've spoken to Keith a little bit about it in the past. I know he's a difficult man to, to nail down. He's a very, very busy guy. Same with Nabil, but I, I'd love to speak to one or two or all of you about it at well, some point. <laughs> Will you be working on further projects with them, or what have you gone on to work, work on since? Because obviously Hopefully, this is close I mean, uh, nothing uh, we're, we're hoping to do the sequel to Sill and the Devil Seeds. Well, I think the last thing Philip Martin wrote before his sad passing last year called Vote Sill. Uh, we haven't really had any discussions about that yet, but, but that's certainly something for the future, yeah. Hopefully. We're watching. But people can order that, can't they? Where, where can they order it directly? Yes, from? it's available on Amazon or um, you can download it. You can stream it from Time Travel TV, the website as well. But, uh, and you can also buy the Blu-ray and DVD from there too. So go on to Time Travel TV and pick up Devil Seeds of Arador and pick up the Longleaf videos at the same time. There'll be links to all of that in the description of the video and in the show notes to the podcast, wherever you're you're listening to us on. That, that is the old girl. Yeah, she's starting up and calling time on another fantastic intergalactic conversation here at Type 40. I'll be back with some more. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on Apple Podcasts. You can search for the Fandom Podcast Network over on there. We're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's master feed. Of course we are, but you can find us separately on Apple Podcasts now with our own feed due to popular demand as well as all those other podcatchers. The podcatcher of your choice. So I'm talking about Spotify. I'm talking about TuneIn, Google Play, all those other places. So if you just search for us, odds are you will find us. Simon. I understand the Hoonatics is all of a buzz at the moment. Lots of conversation. So where can people find you to, to engage some more? Absolutely. They can go and find us on Facebook, uh, where we've got the Facebook page there called Doctor Who, the Hoonatics. Uh, whether you're an old Hoonatic from way back in the late 80s, <laughs> like Phil was, uh, or whether you're a newbie, come on and uh, come and say hello on the Facebook page. You'll find me there as well. And where can people hear more from you across social media, Phil? Where can people connect with you? I'm on Twitter as Phil Newman Design, and that's D sign, so it's just a letter D, S I G N. Uh, cool kids do. And yeah, and I'm on Facebook um, and Instagram as Cosmic Phil on Instagram. Cosmic Phil sounds like one well, of the events. I was Avengers, the Cosmic Correspondent Cosmic. for CT. You see, back oh, in the day, I, 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 ah. I was the Cosmic Correspondent. So, <laughs> forgot about that. that. Was the that was the Doctor Who Appreciation Society's magazine Celestial Toy Room, isn't it? It's their, their newsletter. News it was the newsletter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was that was in eighty seven, eighty eight ish. That was around the time that I was reading. God, we could we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours. So this, that's my way around, of causing this. Hey, Phil, <laughs> you have to come back to the show now. You have to come back now. We've said nice things about to. all that. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember CT back in the day. And yes, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook, where I ramble on and post about whatever catches my my eye, my imagination, or both in popular culture, inside and outside of the TARDIS. There's links to all of that in the show notes. Yes, we uh, always have the time. If you have the space here at Type 40, wherever you are now, safe journey. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.
Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, is a space book production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.